Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brewers, where we tell the stories behind your favorite beer. Joining me, as always, is sound guy Ryan and Erica. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> we are recording at a secret location. Secret location. Our man Jazz over at Small Pond Studios is working the night shift. He's a working boy. The working boy is working the night shift, so he needs to sleep when we can record. So until we can uh, figure out a schedule, we are going to be recording at various secret locations. Um, next week, we will be at a another secret location. Probably still New England. Definitely still in New England. <laughs> I don't have the money to travel right now, but uh, yeah, it's been um, quite the week. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. It's great. Erica, how do you say the state from last week's uh, interview? <laughs> Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. It's, I don't know why. I, I want to add an S though. I always Illinois. want to be like, Illinois. Somebody, call, somebody <laughs> called us off on our TikTok, yep. which is at Brew Roots. If you aren't following, our TikTok is amazing. Do it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we had an awesome episode with Short Fuse Brewing. Yeah. It's kind um, of fun. Out of Schiller Park. Yeah. Illinois, and uh, I loved their beer. Their beer is really good. Yeah. Um, we're looking if they sent us some, so we've been trying a couple, and it is delicious. Yeah, I saw your uh, TikTok. Today. Yeah, <laughs> not to keep on mentioning TikTok, but you make um a lot of good facial. Expressions. I do, like, I do. So if you just want to like laugh at funny faces, I highly recommend you just check my TikTok out. You can actually tell if Erica <laughs> likes a beer based upon her facial expression. So if she says it's the best fa- beer in the world, and she's just like monotone. You know, it's probably not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, their sour was really good, and apparently they're using fooders. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, it traveled so well, I think, is, you know, kudos to them. So, yeah, seriously. Any brewery that is willing to sell or ship a uh, a fruited sour. Yeah. Um, and it gets there in one piece without any, like, crazy off flavors or anything. Or cans exploding. Right. That's what I mean. In one piece. Yeah. Shout out, shout out, shout out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this weekend I went to Silvaticus. I did yoga there. You did. How and was that? I have to say it was awesome. Um, they did a really nice job. Uh, so it was at the brewery, mm-hmm. sort of. Sort of. So you have to walk a little bit, not like within 150 feet, 200 feet oh, of the God. brewery. No, no, no. Which is not. <laughs> Which is not a problem at all, but um no I had we had a really really good time doing yoga and uh, the beer afterward was Obviously awesome amazing. yeah um I had a Keller beer Ooh. which is uh, one of their newer beers that they had on yeah. draft there and uh, it was good seeing Isaiah and company at yoga Isaiah and Co and Co yeah 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 uh, Erica what nice. have you been drinking Indeed. Um, so I had uh, Rockport's, well, I think it's kind of his newest beer, actually. Um, it's the Kolsch called Cape Hedge. It was it was great. It's exactly what I would think a Kolsch should taste like. Yeah. Um, true to style. It was really good. So I always get his new stuff. Um, he makes great beer. So I have to agree. Yeah. So that's, that's what I've been rocking. We're very excited for this week's episode where you're talking to Peter yeah. from Portsmouth Brewery in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Yeah, uh, which is one of the oldest breweries in New England. Uh, there's Gritties up in Portland, and mm-hmm. um, there's a number of other ones who all say they're the oldest, but I think Portsmouth they on paper- be the oldest. If we're wrong, please let us know. Was Sam Adams before them? Uh, maybe on paper, but I think, yeah. yeah, who knows? I don't know. One of the oldest. Hard to say. Hard to <laughs> <laughs> I know it's older than me. Yeah, it's it's as old as me. Which is rad. So rad. Yeah, so uh, Peter's awesome. He um, 
at one point owned Smutty Nose, and um, his sister owns uh, the Northampton Brewing Company. So yeah. I guess you can say beer kind of. They're kind of like a New England dynasty. Like, dynasty, yeah. You could say in brewing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter is awesome just because to hear his knowledge of what the New England beer scene was before it was what it is today. Yeah. Um, and just kind of hearing what Portsmouth Brewing is doing and how they're a family. Um, I mean, it really is. Like, he was talking about you know the longevity of staff there. It's been inspiring yeah. and. How he's not brewing anymore, but he's taking, you know, a different role in the brewery, and you know he's like, yeah, and how his role has changed, yeah, and, and evolved exactly. Um, yeah, it's just a great time, a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I think we're gonna get to that interview because why not? Why not? <laughs> so uh, enjoy your re- weekend. Go to some local breweries and uh, stay safe. Cheers. Cheers. It's not often that we get to interview kind of institutions in our area uh, places that have been and by institutions i mean places that have been around for longer than we've all been alive um we actually share like the same birthday so yeah. I'm, I'm the same age that's pretty which is crazy yeah <laughs> which is really really cool yeah so i'm a little bit older than this brewery yeah slightly but it's a milestone and it's it's really really cool because in our area i remember going to this brewery yeah with my parents when i was younger I remember going as a newly twenty-one year old, mm-hmm. and now I'm I'm enjoying going as a thirty-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But uh, it's and if by that description, if it wasn't good enough, Ryan, who are we interviewing this week? Portsmouth Brewing. That's right. And we're here with Peter of Portsmouth Brewing. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very good. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me on, and thanks for making me feel so old right oh, off no. the bat. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say you're not old. I mean, it's the industry. Thirty years is a it's milestone. Huge. It's a huge yeah. accomplishment. I mean, there aren't many restaurants that have been around for thirty years. There are not many small businesses that have been around for thirty years. Especially a brew pub. Yeah. Or a brewery. Yeah. yeah. Before we get to what you guys did right, um, we ask all of our guests, what is your first memory of beer and your role at Portsmouth Brewing Company? Oh, my first memory of beer. Um, you mean of, of actually consuming beer or just being aware of beer? <laughs> either either, either way. Yep. Okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll tell you both then. So because uh, I guess they're they're both worth saying. So sure. um, you guys know what a church key is? It, as, so. Other than the obvious thing, which is a key that's used to open churches. <laughs> For our listeners it's, who might not know, yeah, why don't you tell us? Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, it's it's a device that was used uh, in, in the old days to open cans. Uh, now when they use the term, it's typically used to refer to bottles because uh, and and uh, most bottles don't even need them because they've got twist off uh, caps but um, there was a time when you actually needed a, a thing called a can opener to open a can and if you've ever been out hiking and you happen across say an old dump in the woods and you find rusty cans and the lids have these two little triangle shaped openings on the top on either side of the lid that was a can that was opened with a church key. Uh, and um, I remember opening beer cans for my dad when I was very small uh, using a church key. 
and uh, punching those two triangular shaped holes in the lid of the can. Uh, so that that predates my childhood before uh, before pop tops, you know, pull off <laughs> tops, and now the the tabs that are used uh, uh, that replace pop tops. And um, so I, I I have to say that's probably my very first memory of of beer. And uh, mind you, I was I was probably a toddler at that point, or a little <laughs> more than a toddler, when my dad would let me open his beer cans for him with the church key. Um, my my first memory of drinking beer isn't not that long after that. I was, uh, I know I was 14 because I, I did a lot of uh, uh, kind of scandalous things when I was 14 years old, and uh, as we all did. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I did was I stole a uh, can of beer out of the back of our family fridge. And I wasn't sure if it, if it was going to be missed. My, my parents didn't really <laughs> drink a lot of beer. And uh, the beer of, uh, I think the beer they had back then was Coors. Uh, and there was just Coors. There wasn't any such thing as Coors Light or anything else. Coors was Coors. Um, and I, this would have been back in the early 70s. And uh, I stowed that can in the bushes out behind our house. And I waited a couple of weeks to oh, make geez. sure that no one noticed it was missing. <laughs> and I went out one, uh, I think it was the middle of summer. I went out one summer evening and uh, sat in the bushes with my purloined can of beer and uh, popped it open. It was very foamy, as you can imagine. Uh, it was very warm. And at that point, it was probably pretty skunky as well. And I remember taking a big swig of it, and it was it was just pure foam. The foam kind of gushed all over the place, including inside my mouth, and it 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 made my eyes water. It was, it probably was the worst thing at that point, or one of the worst things I'd ever put in my I mouth. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, the surprising thing is, you know, it's kind of like it's like your first cigarette. The the question is, you know, everybody has a first cigarette. The real big question is, why does anyone have a second cigarette? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess I would ask the same question about beer. You know, I uh, uh, that was my first experience drinking beer. And I, I think the thing that ran through my mind at the time was, why does anyone drink this stuff? <laughs> right. um, now, mind you, I, by the time I was 16, which is two years later, I was I was a pretty regular beer drinker. <laughs> uh, I had a friend who who was one of those weird people who got really hairy at a young age and uh was able to pass for 21 uh, when he was 16. And we used to sit out on my front porch and drink beer uh, probably three nights a week. So I, I can't really say I'm particularly proud of any of those memories. Um, but uh, that that was my first, my first experience with beer. Hmm. And uh, I guess I, I will fast forward just one year later sure. when I was 17 and I went off to college. I lived with my cousin up in the Bay Area because I went to UC Berkeley. And uh, he brought home this stuff that he'd never seen before. He worked in the city uh, in San Francisco and he came home to Berkeley and brought home a six pack of this stuff called Anchor Steam Beer. Mm. And that was in 1976. And that was uh, my first experience drinking something other than a... Um, you know, than a, than a light Pilsner style beer. Yeah. 
that. It was it was kind of a revelation, I will say. Um, and uh, but it was it was quite a few years later that I actually had a, you know like a, a true craft beer, um, which would have been sometime in the mid eighties. In, in your stories. role, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, your role at the brewery. My role now, yeah. Um, I guess I would I would say my primary role now is uh, worrying. <laughs> uh, I, I I tend to take the worrying on, so that uh, I mean I I say that sir, it's kind of a flippant answer, but uh, <laughs> you know. For the most part, I, I try because I, I am by nature kind of a micromanagey guy. And if I didn't really work on it, I'd be I'd be in everybody's grill in everybody's business uh, doing things that I really have no business doing. Um, there are most of the jobs that are done at the brewery are done by people who are far better at those jobs than than I am. I know a little bit about a lot of stuff. So I, I tend to keep my focus, and, and this is true with my partner, Joanne, as well, who unfortunately is not able to be on this uh, in this interview because she had a conflict. But uh, um, I really do try and uh, keep the my focus on the sort of the bigger picture uh, aspects of the business, as well as keeping, um, keeping things consistent. Um, and, and keeping a kind of a through line of, of procedures and, and policies and, and to some extent just institutional memory um, that uh, and this is especially true now uh, as we're as we're emerging from the pandemic. We have a lot of new staff. We have a lot of uh, a lot of things that were that were really procedures that were kind of carved in stone for for you know, literally decades uh, got turned on their ear uh, over the last year and a half. And in some ways, it kind of feels like I'm, I'm uh, going back and answering a lot of the same questions that were kind <laughs> of like, you know, asked and answered and, and over and done with, yeah. you know, whether it's procedures, you know, how to cash out bartenders and servers at the end of the night or, or, or how to walk through the building and close the place down at the end of the day or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, where the mixing valves are that, that, blend the hot and cold water that come out of the faucets in the in the bathroom sinks um so i'm i'm now that guy who knows where <laughs> everything is in the building and and kind of has a memory going back um and, and it's helpful I, I actually don't mind doing that it's it makes me feel useful <laughs> well, that's good <laughs> so you hearken back to you know the right page of 17 where you had anchor steam for the first time you mentioned you were going to uc berkeley um, did that anchor steam kind of, you know, pave the way, I guess, into beer yeah. for you? Or what was the moment in time that you were like, I want to work in beer for the rest of my life? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wish that that would make a much better story than, <laughs> than the actual real story of what happened. Um, but I'll, I'll fast forward a bit. I, I left California, which is where I grew up. And uh, in 1978, uh, when I was 19, I moved to New York City and uh, I'd, I'd kind of dropped in and out of a couple different colleges along the way. But I was 
committed to seeing things through. And, and it turns out I, I did, and I finished college. And uh, around 1981, I found myself living in Brooklyn with uh, an old uh, friend of mine from high school. And uh, we saw in the back of a magazine one day an advertisement for a homebrew kit. Neither of us had ever heard of homebrewing. Uh, and we thought it was the dumbest thing we'd ever seen. You know, why why brew your own beer when, when you can just go across the street to the bodega and, and buy beer? Um, but we were curious and we scraped together the 15 bucks or whatever it was and sent away and got this kit in the mail. And the kit consisted of um, probably not any different from most homebrew kits you get today. Uh, it was a, a five gallon plastic bucket some plastic tubing, uh, a three and a half pound can of malt syrup, uh, a little packet of Red Star yeast, and some uh, really nasty desiccated uh, hop flowers. Uh, you know, they were kind of brown and dried out. Yeah. And that was that was it. And, and a little uh, one page instruction book. And uh, we followed the directions. Uh, we we made the beer. Um, it was uh, it was pretty awful. Uh, I suspect it was probably pretty badly infected. If I think back on on what how much we didn't know back then, and my roommate lost interest immediately. Oh, he uh, he just he just had no interest. And uh, but I I was curious, and I actually followed up. Uh, the only place in New York at the time where you could buy homebrew supplies was a little winemaking shop in Little Italy on Mulberry Street. And in the very back of the shop, they had one shelf with beer making supplies. It was, uh, you know, they again, it, just more cans of malt syrup and more little uh, plastic uh, baggies of hops and, and more Red Star yeast. Yep. Um, but I bought some books, uh, homebrew books that, that were all British. You know, back then, you have to remember that homebrewing back then was primarily a kind of a an offshoot of, of sort of hippie culture. It was like the, the people who bought the Whole Earth catalog and were kind of living this back-to-the-land lifestyle. Um, and uh, it, it was not particularly sophisticated. And homebrewing was really primarily something that came out of, out of England. So all of the books at the time, this was before uh, Charlie Papazian's book, The Complete Joy of Homebrewing came out. Um, so most of the, the, the publications were, were British and those were all about making beers that were kind of like beers you could buy or beers that your dad drank. So they were classic British styles, uh, ESBs and pale ales and stouts and porters and so on. And um, and I, I was a casual home brewer at the same time I was, I was actually studying to become a high school teacher. And so you fast forward to, uh, it was probably around 1985, I was actually working full-time as a high school teacher in, in the public schools in New York. And my sister and her boyfriend came through town. Uh, they were doing merchandising for a, a, a company called Winterland Productions, which was a rock and roll tour company based out of San Francisco. So they'd get assigned to a tour and go uh, travel 
zigzag across the country, setting up a t-shirt concession at a different venue every night. And at the time they were doing the merchandising for the, for the Jackson brothers victory tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. You guys may be <laughs> a little too young to remember that, but uh, at the time, Michael Jackson was the biggest pop star in the world. And he gathered together his four brothers and uh, the Jackson five was back on the, on tour for this, what they call the victory tour. And my sister and her boyfriend had been doing that probably for a year at that point when they passed through New York. And we were sitting around my kitchen one night uh, drinking some homebrewed beer that I'd made. And they started telling me about these great little places they'd seen out in the Bay Area where they lived, which were little bars that made their own beer. And as the evening wore on, we drank more homebrews and we got more enthusiastic about this idea. And we started saying, well, geez, somebody should do it here in the East Coast. And why not us? And uh, I have to give my sister credit for this. Uh, and, and my sister's still in the business. You, you may have crossed paths with her. She owns the Northampton Brewery in Western Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Uh, her name is Janet, Janet Eggleston. Um, She's really the one who wouldn't let this idea go. You know, they got back to San Francisco and I went back to my my job teaching high school. But she actually started making phone calls and they, they took field trips and went and visited breweries up and down the West Coast. And they gathered up information and and they made the case. Uh, she and her boyfriend, Mark, made the case to me that we ought to all get together and start a brew pub on the East Coast. And one thing led to another, and by the summer of 1987, we had opened the Northampton Brewery in Western Massachusetts. Um, now, that's how I got into the beer business. I was uh, nominated to be our first brewer because I was <laughs> the only one who knew anything about making beer. Uh, but making beer in a, in a plastic bucket in your kitchen and making something that you expect people to spend money for two entirely different things. For sure. And uh, the, the one thing that I'll say, I'll, well, I'll say a couple things. You know, I, I was on a really, really steep learning curve. And, uh, but the, the thing about that was everybody back then was on a steep learning curve. Yeah. So to some extent, the, the people who were seeking out what we were doing, um, we're pretty forgiving. You know, we, we were given the opportunity to, to really, uh, um, I'm not sure how colorful my language can <laughs> no, be. No, whatever you'd like to say there. is fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I was gonna say, we fucked a lot of things yes. up along the way. <laughs> um, but, um, but we were, we were able to bounce back and, and learn from, learn from experience and learn those lessons. And I actually was the, the head brewer at the Northampton Brewery for the first four years until we uh, opened the place in Portsmouth uh, in 91. And at that point, I, I, I built a brewery in Portsmouth and hired a head brewer there and hired my replacement in Northampton. And I've been in uh, management ever since. And uh, I'm not sure if you held a gun to my head, if I could go into the brewery and figure <laughs> out how to work all the levers and brew a batch of beer. I, I probably could under duress, but I, I can't say it would be very good. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I got into it. Yeah, that's an amazing story. It's kind of cool to hear where you've kind of traveled and kind of got to the beginning of Portsmouth Brewing, where we're here to talk about today. But before we get into that, we have to get a quick word from our sponsors. So take it away, Sound Guy Ryan. 
Did you know that your favorite Massachusetts breweries use hops from a local family-owned hop farm right here in Massachusetts? Our friends over at Four Star Farms are there for you whether you're a commercial brewery or a small batch home brewer. Make sure to head over to their website today and get your hands on some of the best and freshest hops available locally. Cheers! At our local homebrew shop, Beer and Wine Hobby, you can get everything you need to make beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Not sure where to start? They have knowledgeable staff there to help. Beer and Wine Hobby is family-owned and located in Danvers, Massachusetts. Visit their website, beer-wine.com, and use our promo code BREWROOTS for 10% off your online order today. Shirts on Tap is the box subscription service for craft beer lovers. Each month, Shirts on Tap partners up with seven different breweries from across the country and collaborates on a sweet custom shirt design. We've been teamed up with Shirts on Tap since the inception of the podcast and are proud to announce a new promo code for all of our listeners. To get your first shirt for $5 off, go to the link in our description below and use the promo code. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Uh, Portsmouth Brewing, what year did Portsmouth Brewing start? 1991. Yep, we started in 91. <laughs> I mean, like what month of 1991? June. June? Uh, June, actually. It was right around this time of year. Yeah. What was the beer scene in New England like at that time, and who was your first head brewer at, at P-Brew? Um, the, uh, the beer scene in New England was was really pretty limited um i'm trying to think uh obviously the the northampton brewery our place existed uh there were a couple of brew pubs in boston including the the one that had uh beaten us to the punch as being the first one which was the commonwealth brewery which uh sadly is no longer with us um Harpoon Brewery opened the same summer we did in Northampton in 87. Uh, David Geary opened his brewery up in Portland, Maine, I think in 85 or 86. And there was Catamount Brewery up in White River Junction, Vermont. And uh, I believe that was it for small breweries in New England. Um, a lot of people were still pretty confused about Sam Adams um, <laughs> because, you know, obviously Boston was all over their name, but but uh, Sam Adams wasn't made anywhere near Boston at the time. Um, but uh, and then there was a handful of uh, beers that were made under contract that were sort of, uh, you know, uh, craft ish beers. Uh, and I'm remember if any of them are still around no they're really not actually as i think about it so the 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 beer scene was very limited and consequently uh those of us who were who were doing it pretty early on we had to not only make beer we had to essentially make our own customers as well mm. and uh for most people beer was uh 
I like to say beer was beer with a lowercase b. You know, the, the people's <laughs> understanding of beer was that it was a, a light Pilsner style, you know, one kind of indistinguishable from the next. In fact, uh, it's it's actually, it's it's a true story and I, that, that kind of summarizes what we were up against at the time. This was when we were first opened down in Northampton. Uh, one of our uh, waiters was was waiting on a on a couple, and he described the beers we had on tap. And I think at the time we had like three beers on tap. And he described these beers, and the guy said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just want an American beer." <laughs> and the guy went back and described the same beers you know well we have a golden lager and an amber lager and whatever the third one was you know and the guy says yeah right just just give me an american beer and finally the the waiter got exasperated and he pointed to the tanks that were right there through the glass and he said buddy the beer is made there 15 feet from where you're sitting it doesn't get any more american than that um <laughs> But the thing is that, that you know, I, I, I love telling that story in part because I know exactly what that guy meant. You know, an American beer was, you know, was a, was a light Pilsner style beer. And uh, I'm not really judgmental. And, I, and as, as I've gotten older, I've grown less judgmental about beer styles because what's the point? You know, if, if, yeah. if, if your drink is Coors Light, who am I to argue with it? You know, and, 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 and to be honest, and I'll just say this, if, if I'm at Fenway Park and it's 95 degrees and, and, the, and the line at the, at the Coors Light booth is short... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy a Coors Light and you know what? I'm going to really enjoy it for yep. what it is in that circumstance, you know, and I'm not going to try and make it something that it's not or, or criticize it because it right. isn't something that it's not hmm. and because it, it doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. However, as we all know, there's a whole world of wonderful beers out there. But at that time, people didn't really know that the only ones who did were either elderly people um and even then you know you had to still you had to be pretty old to remember what beer was like say before uh, world war ii yeah. uh, when there were still a lot of local breweries and 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 a wider range of beer styles um there were also people who'd been deployed overseas in the military uh who had experienced beer in say germany or 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 in england um, and then there were the hippy dippy back to the to the earth types who were you know who were homebrewing and had discovered beer styles um, just through through homebrewing and and that was pretty much it. Those are the that was our whole universe. That was our whole constituency, and we had to kind of build from the center out from there. Um, so anyway, I, I sort of lost track of your question. I think you were asking about the beer scene back then, yeah. um, and that was. Uh, that was it. It was, uh, it was kind I was of say, I think you described it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why uh, Portsmouth? I mean, obviously between Portland where Geary's is, Boston where Commonwealth was, is that kind of why or why Portland? I mean, Portsmouth. We had, um, we ended up in Portsmouth after a pretty long and pretty frustrating search for a second location. Uh, we, we felt 
pretty early on that we were onto something special. You know, within the first year in Northampton, we we saw the excitement around what we were doing. Uh, we saw the opportunity out there. We actually felt like we were starting to kind of figure things out a little bit, and and I I think we kind of were with with a lot of help from a lot of people. Um, but we ran into a couple of of uh, roadblocks. Uh, the, the first of which was that brew pubs were still illegal in most states. Oh. Um, it's kind of hard to think about that now because they're so commonplace. But back then, most states were very, very uh, strict uh, adherence to the three-tier system. And as you know, the three-tier system puts a, a, a barrier between uh, the manufacturer, the wholesale uh, sale, and the retail sale of alcoholic beverages. And a brew pub is certainly a, a clear violation of that. So uh, the way the law was being interpreted back then, you could not make beer and sell it under the same roof. That was a, a violation of state and federal law. Um, and only a few states allowed uh, uh, allowed exceptions to that. Massachusetts sort of kind of did. They had this license called a farmer brewer's permit, which was never really meant to be for brew pubs. It was really more like a, a well, basically it was for, it was for farmers to, to make beer um, and, and grow, you know, it was, it was, I don't even know what it was, why it was on the books, but it was, uh, but most states, including Massachusetts, which really did take a very dim view towards brew pubs, um, they were, they were not legal. So most of the places that were appealing to us were, were really off the off limits for that reason. And, uh, we happened across Portsmouth on the recommendation of a friend, and then we were introduced through mutual acquaintances to some people who owned this beautiful building right in the center of downtown, and they desperately wanted to sell it. And they had seen a brew pub somewhere, I think in Florida or something, and they thought to themselves, gosh, if we could only find someone who wants to put our brew pub in this building, we could, we could unload this big white elephant and get the heck out of here, <laughs> which is where, what they really wanted to do. And along we came right around the same time. And it was, it was really a stroke of, of just dumb luck uh, because my, my partners and I at the time, which consisted of my sister Janet and her uh, former boyfriend, then husband, eventually ex-husband, uh, uh, we came to town and we were in Portsmouth for 10 minutes and we went, oh my God, this is where we were meant to be all along. Uh, we thought it was the coolest place we'd ever seen. Um, and, uh, and, and in many ways, I, I still feel that way about Portsmouth. Um, although the town has changed pretty significantly in the in the last 30 years but uh it was it was a pretty awesome place for us it it had everything we really were looking for um in a in a place to open a second brewery yeah uh, who is day one head brewer uh day one head brewer was an individual named paul murphy and I will say that if you look for Paul Murphy today, you won't find Paul Murphy because Paul Murphy um, is is now Vivian Murphy, and uh, and I was uh, I was very intrigued and and kind of uh, proud when Vivian told me about her her transition a couple years ago. Um, 
proud only because I was one of the first people that she told me um, after after knowing her for 30 years. Uh, so um, I guess I guess at the time, historically, it was Paul Murphy, but today it's Vivian Murphy. Oh, nice. So, yeah. And uh, so she she was the head brewer there for actually was there until we started Smutty Nose in 94. And then she uh, came to Smutty Nose as, as my uh, partner yeah. um, okay. at Smutty Nose for a period of time. When did Todd Mott come into play with Kate the Great and kind of your cult status in the brewing industry with that beer? Yeah, let's see. I, I always say that, because uh, I remembered it at the time I made note of the fact that we signed uh, Todd Mott on board at the same time the Red Sox signed Kurt Schilling. <laughs> and the Sox went on to win the World Series the next year. So that's like 2003? Won our own World Series. So yeah, yeah. that would have been 2003. Um, was uh, was when Todd came on board, and Todd and I had known each other since the late '80s. You know, since his days. Uh, in fact, I knew Todd before he became a professional brewer. Um, when he was just one of those guys who's kind of known as like this this, you know, really talented home brewer who then ultimately got his uh, kind of cut his teeth at Harpoon. And that's when Todd and I really first got to know each other. Uh, so for him, uh, it's kind of a funny story because I, I was looking to hire a, uh, a head brewer um, because the head brewer at the time was, was leaving. And I picked up the phone and called Todd, who was down in Haverhill. I figured Todd kind of knew what was going on in the beer world. And I said, Todd, I, uh, I said, I, you probably know who's out there uh, looking for work. Um, do you have any suggestions of who I could talk to about this head brewer's job at the Portsmouth Brewery? And he said, yeah, I do. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of funny because, you know, I, I had never even thought to ask him because I figured he was, he had, he had his own gig, but he was, he was ready to, to make the move. And, uh, so yeah, so he he joined us in 2003 and it was uh it was a pretty cool ride. We had a lot of fun together. Yeah. You touched upon Smutty Nose. I think a lot of people know that you started Smutty Nose and you're you're no longer with Smutty Nose, but how was it like owning two breweries in the 90s when uh people could barely handle having maybe one brewery? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it probably wasn't the smartest move on my part. Um, you know, interestingly, it's, it's one of the things I think that really caused my sister and I to finally realize that, that we like being brother and sister more than we like being <laughs> business partners. Yeah. And so we, we ended, ended our partnership in the year 2000. And, uh, after all these years, we're still brother and sister and we still like each other's company. And, uh, and uh, and we uh, we we don't have to figure out how to be in business together. But yeah, running um, the 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 in some ways, Smutty Nose started, and I'll, I'll just be really candid. It, it started in some ways as an appeal to vanity, you know. And this after hearing people come to us for. I mean, it wasn't a long time. We hadn't been around for that long, but uh, 
hearing it over and over again. They'd try our beer and they'd say, oh, we really like this beer. Um, you guys ever thought of putting it in bottles? And eventually, when you start hearing that kind of thing often enough, you start to it starts to go to your head. And uh, when I had an opportunity to uh, really impulsively buy the assets of a small brewery that had gone uh, out of business in Portsmouth, this was the Frank Jones Brewing Company, um, and and you know. I guess you could say that my experience in the in the production beer business was uh, essentially uh, bookended on both ends by a foreclosure auction, uh, and uh, make of that what you will. But uh, that's that's kind of karmically, I guess, in some ways, how it's all sort of balanced out. But um, I I acted on that impulse and. Uh, bought this uh, building full of equipment. In fact, I, I, I would tell people, and I, I still think this is true, that we started Smutty Nose in the most ass-backwards way you could start a company. You know, normally if you start a company, you have, you have an idea and you, you put the idea to the test. You go out and you, you talk to people, you, you kind of try and proof it out, figure out whether it's actually a good idea or a really stupid idea. And then you you develop a business plan. Uh, somewhere along the line, you you flesh out your business plan. You look for financing, and then ultimately, once you've got some money, access to money, you you secure a location and you buy your equipment, uh, and so on and so forth. And then eventually, you're off to the races. Well, I had a building full of equipment first, <laughs> and and no plan, no money, uh, no real vision. All that stuff had to kind of run and catch up. Um, and uh, but, you know, again, I, I go back to what I said a few minutes ago, which much like our experience opening the brew pub <clears throat> in the in the production brewing business at the time, most people were truly just making it up as they went along. Yeah. And I will say the 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 one person in the in craft beer who really stands out as being the one person who really wasn't winging it ever is uh, Jim Cook from Sam Adams. Yeah. Um, because he had he had a vision from early on, and he recognized something recognized something early on. Uh, and I, I'm sort of drifting a little bit off the topic here, but it, it sort of goes without saying that he he built something really unique because he saw something at the time that no one else recognized. And what he recognized were there were these mid-sized regional breweries all over the country that were operating at less than 100% capacity. And he knew that he could purchase their spare capacity for a lot less money than it would cost him to build a bricks and mortar brewery. And that was when the, the whole notion of contract brewing began. Um, and it's something that, that they took a lot of heat for in the early days of people saying, oh, it's not a real craft beer because it's, you know, it's made at, at, a, at a Miller plant or it's made at a, you know, at the Schaefer plant, Philadelphia or whatever. Um, but uh, honestly, he, he saw that early, early on before anyone else did. And it was pretty amazing. The rest of us were all scrambling around and making <laughs> it up as we went along. And uh 
And, and I think that's still one of the hallmarks of this industry. And, and it's one of its charms and also, I think, one of its uh, uh, potential weaknesses as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I am curious to know why Portsmouth Brewing is still around today. What are you guys doing right? And do you see a lot of breweries doing it? I hate to say, quote unquote, wrong. But we'll get into that on the other side of these sponsor bumps. So take it away, Sound Guy Ryan. Are you a solo artist, band, podcaster, or anyone else who needs recording services? Well, we got a place for you where your vision can become a reality. Welcome to Small Pond Studios, built by hand with heart and sweat equity by musicians for musicians. Go to smallpondstudios.io to reach out to get more information. And make sure you let them know that Brut sent you. Hey, Sound Guy Ryan here. Didn't know if you heard, but we're a part of the Hopped Up Network. There you'll find other informative podcasts about beer. So go ahead, follow them on social media, and visit them on their website, hoppedupnetwork.com, to learn more about the people, beer, and breweries from around the country. And until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. All right, so you were asking about uh, how is it that we've uh, kept our heads above water for the last 30 years? Um, my words, not yours. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a good question. And I have to say, I, I never planned to be around for 30 years. Uh, I, I don't really know what the plan was, uh, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily to... to to be around for 30 years. It just sort of happened. Um, but uh, I, I think that there are a couple things that we've had uh, that have worked for us. Uh, one is uh, an awareness that we've had pretty early on that we were not going to be a brewery that also served food. We were going to be a restaurant that made its own beer. And, and yeah. I, I think that's an important distinction. I think uh, many small breweries have uh, go into the, the pub business with a certain amount of trepidation. You know, they, they've gone off, they've, they've won their blue ribbons, you know, in the homebrew contests. They've, they've listened to all those people telling them that they should go pro. They, they, uh, you know, they, they're really into beer. They love beer. They love beer culture. Um, but the thing that they haven't fully embraced is the concept of hospitality. And, uh, and it's something that we've always put a lot of energy into. Um, and I and I've and I still do. I think about it more and more. Uh, I, I've said other places, and it, it bears repeating here, that the thing that I am most proud of when I look at the Portsmouth Brewery now is its role in our community as a public house, as as a place of gathering where people come on dates, they come for for meetings, they they come just to hang out, maybe watch a, a sports event on TV. Um, 
you walk into the place and you you can just feel it in the air and it's it's great now that we're able to have more uh seating now that the the covid restrictions are starting to get loosened up uh as we work our way out of the pandemic um walking in and hearing that uh that that sound of of people there's just nothing else like it and uh I'll stand there sometimes and just drink it all in and just just think, you know, this is this is really remarkable. This is really something special and something that I'm I'm really proud of. And I, I hope I try and uh, invite our staff to, to think of it in those terms as well. Um, we walk a fine line, though, because physically uh, the brewery has not changed a lot. We did a, a big, big makeover back in the mid nineties when we bought the adjacent building and we expanded into that adjacent building and, and created a new dining room and, and more kitchen space and reconfigured the bar and did a bunch of other stuff. But if you walked in there today and you hadn't been in the place for 20 years, it, it would not look significantly different. And that that's, intentional on my part. However, uh, we are also operating in a landscape where people are constantly looking for novelty. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're, we're trying to uh, kind of strike that balance between being that place that's familiar and comfortable uh, that people know uh, and staying fresh at the same time. And, and the thing that keeps me awake at night that I, that I, I think about, and I, I think we, we all think about at the brewery is uh, you don't want to be that place that everybody thinks of as sort of a beloved institution, but they can't <laughs> remember the last time they actually went. Mm -hmm. And we all have those places in our lives. And we, many times we only become aware of them when you hear that, when we hear they're going out of business. And, uh, and so, you know, they'll be like, oh my God, did you hear that such and such a place is closing its doors? I love that place. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you went? Oh, 20 oh my years God, ago. I can't yeah, remember, yeah. you know, yeah. we all, we, we could, all of us here come up with, you know, name places like that in our own experience. And, and that, that is something that I think about. We, we don't ever want to be that place, uh, we we've had to respond to how the, the 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 city of Portsmouth has evolved all around us, and we've we've tried to adapt to that, um, and uh, at the same time not lose our our connection with the community itself. And so we've 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 really really tried to keep keep our roots in the community. So it's it's a bit of a dance, um, but I will say you know the the beer is a really important part of it um, because I think that beer serves a, a very uh, uh, a, a real fundamental part of that that social interaction that's so important to us. You know, it's it's really easy to say to someone, "Hey, let's get together for a beer." I mean, yeah, you can get together over a cup of coffee. That's fine. It's just not the same. No. <laughs> but when was the last time you ever actually proposed to somebody, hey, let's go out and get together over a glass of Merlot, you know, or uh, let's get together and uh, knock back a few shots. I mean, <laughs> people do it, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. But somehow 
fear is part of that that language and and it's it's kind it's an ancient language and it's an it's an ancient interaction that we that that goes back to the beginning of humanity and 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 I will I will I will uh I will say this because this is also kind of a hobby horse I've been riding around lately. <laughs> I, I looked up the 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 linguistic root of the word hospitality and it comes from the the same kind of ancient proto linguistic uh, you know, proto-Indo-European language root as both the word host, guest, and stranger huh. all come, all go back to a common root. And uh, the, the notion of hospitality is one of the most ancient things that brought humans together in units larger than family units and tribal units, is this idea of entertaining a guest, a stranger, and, and providing them with, with a, a certain set of obligatory behaviors. And the guest and the host are, are it, that's this kind of a sacred bond. Weirdly, in our culture, that has been replaced by the, the notion of uh, customer. Customer has replaced guest. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Customers, it's a transactional thing. They expect something for their money. And that becomes kind of ugly, at times, um, whereas the the role of guest in in a in a hospitality situation is a very different kind of role. Um, anyway, again, I'm sort of flying off uh, in a different direction here, but it's that I guess that in a way I'll just say that it's thinking like that that I guess has kind of kept me engaged with this business. Uh, rather than just slinging hash and sliding <laughs> beers over the bar for 30 years right. is uh, is actually kind of thinking of, of what, you know, when you, when you pull the lid off the box and look inside to see how everything works, you know, how, how do all those parts mesh together? And uh, that, that's, that, that's something that I find engaging. For sure. For sure. I think it does make a difference. So what is next? What, what, is, what do the next 30 years bring for you? <laughs> 30, 30 years from now, I'll be in my nineties. Um, and my, my partner, Joanne, uh, we had a, a gathering uh, a couple weeks ago on the actual date of our 30th anniversary. Um, and she got up with the microphone and made a, a crack about being around and having a, another event in, in another 30 years. And yeah. if she'd been sitting at a table <laughs> with me, I think I'd have kicked her under the table. Um, I think that uh, I, I th- there are really a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, the, a very, the very real question is, you know, what is realistically the lifespan of a, of a business like right. the Portsmouth Brewery? And at what point do you know when it's when it's time to to kind of draw down the curtain? I, I don't think we're anywhere near that point yet. Um, but you want to make sure I at least I like to think we can we can know it when it's coming and and not have someone, you know, reach out with a hook and pull us <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, uh, I, I feel like um, planning for succession to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all joking aside, I, I am 62 years old and I, and I don't expect to be doing this, uh, in, in 10 years time. Um, so part of it really is a, a notion of, of figuring out how that, that, uh, 
succession is going to work because I, I would love to know that the, the Portsmouth brewery can, can outlive me um, uh, or at least, you know, outlive me in, in a, in a, in a work capacity. You know, right, I, I'm right. not, <laughs> not expecting to go anywhere soon, although I could get a piano dropped on my head at any time, which, you know, is another reason to think about succession. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I know you had asked a, a little while ago about other things we have in mind for our 30th. Uh, one of the things that we realized was that because when our actual 30th anniversary came up on June 1st, we... Uh, we were still operating under some pretty serious constraints. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we thought, well, what a great reason to take this 30th anniversary and stretch it out and make it into a 30th anniversary season. Mm -hmm. So what we would have wanted to do on June 1st was have a big blowout party and invite everyone in town and all of our friends and you know everybody in the beer business and have this crazy fun event. Uh, we actually think we can pull that off uh, towards the end of the season. So, so stay tuned as we Sounds get, good. as the summer starts to wind down and we start to head into the fall. That's something that we've got on the, on the drawing board. Um, and then just finding other ways to continue to, to show our appreciation to the, to the community that supported us and, uh, and all the great people who've passed through our doors, both, both our guests and our staff, um, it's uh that's been a lot of fun too seeing seeing people come back who who worked at the brewery you know decades ago and and seeing them come back and uh you know meeting their kids uh <laughs> in some cases employing their kids uh <laughs> yeah we're now on our second generation of uh of uh staff in that regard um yeah so that's i see more of that in the works over the coming months 30 years is an amazing milestone. Uh, we now kind of know where you're navigating towards the future. We want our listeners who haven't been to Portsmouth Brewing, and if you haven't, really. Or just haven't been back in a while. Yeah. Um, can you remind our listeners where you guys are physically located so they can enjoy some food, some beer, and hospitality? Absolutely. Um, we are right in the heart of downtown Portsmouth. If you're coming up or coming down the interstate, that's exit 7. And uh, we're just a mile off the uh, off-ramp. And uh, the address is 56 Market Street. We're just a few steps away from the municipal parking garage. So uh, come see us. Yeah, uh, and there's the, the city of Portsmouth has uh, got all this great outdoor dining going this, this season. Uh, it's sort of a carryover from last summer. And uh, it's, it's just such a great vibe in town with, with all, the, all the tables and chairs from all the different restaurants out on the out in the street um nice. it's kind of fun so if you haven't had a chance to to participate in that i also suggest that whether you whether you come to the brewery or go somewhere else it's just fun to come to come to portsmouth and and uh experience that yeah and then on social media i assume was at portsmouth brewing uh at portsmouth brewery uh the website is just portsmouthbrewery.com uh and we have uh Oh golly, our Facebook. <laughs> if you just type Portsmouth yeah, Brewery yeah. into Facebook, it <laughs> pops right up. There aren't a lot of us uh, Portsmouth breweries on Facebook. Right, um, right, right. But yeah, uh, please, uh, please visit us, visit us either virtually or in person. We we would love to 
love to see you. And if anyone wants to look me up, just uh, just just don't say you're my friend because the staff <laughs> at the front door have all been instructed that that I don't have any friends. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because if people want to get moved to the front of the line because they're right. a friend of mine, they, that's a good way to get put on the back of the line. <laughs> I, I jest, I'm kidding. But uh, but yeah, no, I I would love to. I'd love to meet the people who who listen to your. Uh, your podcast Definitely. so look me up yeah well peter thank well. you for doing this today um and we said on our outro of last week's episode cheers to 30 years cheers to 30 years more so we hope you get another 30 years or more yeah <laughs> <laughs> i hope to see you at the brewery when you're Who like knows? 92 we, yeah, we no, may I mean, be here 30 years from now yeah at 92 <laughs> absolutely well Thank yep. you so much, and All right. we'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers. All right, everyone. This is Ryan's least favorite portion of the podcast. It's personally my favorite portion of the podcast because we can actually thank our listeners for listening to this week's episode with Peter from Portsmouth Brewing Company. And, and tease the next one. Well, we're going to tease this one because it's part of our 50 states, 50 brewery campaign. Dun, dun, dun. We went to another state that I did not think we would knock off right away. Ever. Or even that beer was there. Well, I, knew I guess we knew was, beer was there. We knew beer yeah. was there, but we just were like, really? So far away. Erica, who are we interviewing next Here. week? We're interviewing uh, Christy of Alaskan Brewing Company. And Christy is not only the first brewer that we've interviewed from Alaska, she's the first pastor she is. that we've ever interviewed. <laughs> ever interviewed, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Uh, she was awesome. Tons of knowledge. Tons of knowledge. And it's just so cool to actually see how the two roles kind of play together. Yeah, they work. absolutely. So that episode is available next week, and we hope you enjoy. So stay safe, drink some beer, and drink local. Cheers. Cheers.